to Building Vibrant Communities, a podcast for anyone interested in supporting and being part of the future success of our cities and towns. This podcast is a collaboration of team members of Patronicity and Bench Consulting from across the country. This series will feature Barbara Lash in Michigan, Jonathan Burke in Boston, Ibrahim Varachia in Oakland, Mahela Clayton in Michigan, and me, Bridget Anderson, here in Indiana. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast, Building Vibrant Communities. I'm here with uh, Allison Burson. She's a program manager at the Salman Foundation. Uh, the Lillian, Lawrence and Lillian Salman Foundation works with diverse partners across Greater Boston to advance the planning and design for an ever-changing and growing portfolio of greenway and park projects. They provide organizational support, technical advice, and funding support for specific projects. And uh, to introduce Allison really quickly, uh, Allison joined the Salman Foundation last year in 2019. She brings experience working in the nonprofit, private, higher education, and public sector in Seattle, Boston, and the UK. Um, in addition to being a fair and foul weather bike commuter, as I am also myself, uh, and regularly cycling from Boston to Wellesley, when not cycling, Allison enjoys exploring paths while running, finding ponds and lakes to swim in, and navigating hiking trails in and out of state, as I know I do, and I believe Bridget can also speak to that as well in Indiana. Although those hiking trails are probably a lot less steep than ours. Yeah, yeah pretty flat out here. <laughs> right. Uh, and also fueled by her encyclopedic knowledge of New England's bakeries and ice cream shops. So we may have to get some ice cream and bakery questions in there at some point. <laughs> and recommendations because it is hot and I could really go for some ice cream. Um, so to jump right in, so Allison, welcome. First of all, thank you for joining us. We're uh, excited to have you and excited to kind of talk about uh, some of your work at the Solomon Foundation, but also some of the work uh, that you've been doing sort of leading the charge really with Salman Foundation and Barr and other groups across Massachusetts in response to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and how we rethink streets. Um, so I'm going to let you really quickly um, explain to listeners some of your work mm -hmm. with the Salman Foundation sort of pre-pandemic and then we can kind of transition into some yeah. of the current work as well. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me today. Um, so the Solomon Foundation has for 15 years, long before I joined, worked on creating and expanding parks and greenways in the greater Boston area with a real focus on a network of connected parks and green spaces um, that are accessible to dense urban communities. And that work started out early on along the Charles River, downtown Boston, and sort of extended along the Charles River and along the Mystic and the Ponset River as the organization has grown over time. Um, and in the last few years especially, we've always looked at the projects that are on the more complicated side you know if, if it's an easy project it's probably been built but if you when, when you're thinking about connecting people to green spaces sometimes there's a highway that's come through and cut off access to the charles river um or there might be a you know large intersection that's really difficult to cross that means that one community can't get to the green spaces along the mystic river uh, so often we're coming in and often those really tricky spots might have multiple state agencies that own the land. Maybe it's the State Department of Transportation and our water authority and our state parks each own one section of the land and um, it gets really tricky and there's some public transit right near it too. So 
often the Solomon Foundation's role is helping figure out how to physically make the connections, but also connecting all of the communities involved, um, nonprofits and organizations interested in access to these places and helping them work with multiple state agencies and helping those agencies work together. And so those tend to be very long projects. Hmm. These projects can take, you know, 10 years might be speedy for something like working on a greenway connecting two communities. You know, some of the classic rail trail projects, you know, these can be 30 years of work. Um, so we're used to the, the long game. And yet come March, April, we said, there is such a huge need we're seeing everywhere, need for space and need for room to make essential trips, as well as need for space for physical activity. You know, some of our parks and some trails around the country were seeing temporary closures. We were at the same time in the Boston area, you know, seeing you know, higher use on trails and in parks, far more people out walking and biking and um, using active transportation to get where they needed to go as there's less comfort and less frequency of public transit. Uh, and we said, we need to figure out, you know, what more can we do right now? There's so much need for space. And, you know, knowing that our public spaces extend beyond our parks and beyond our trails, but our street spaces um, and, you know, plazas and other places in downtown areas, that's all public space and knowing people need space. And so we said, what can we do to help communities really quickly transform this space just for the needs right now. Um, and as we were watching Brookline extending their sidewalks so essential workers could get to hospital jobs, uh, you know, that is one model, um, as well as seeing some communities take away parking space downtown in their business districts to allow for space for retail, as well as space for people to move and have you know six feet of space between each other. Uh, and so we started a small quick grant program for communities to tell us you know, what their needs were to reuse their public spaces right now, you know, a pilot project to test out a different way to make space for people. Um, and we've been really thrilled to see sort of the ecosystem of partners in the state that have also responded to that challenge and working with the Bar Foundation that's um, our fund, one of our funders and close partner, um, working together with them and with MassDOT on a larger scale program after communities have tested a pilot to do a bigger project, as well as mass development, um, which is providing support to non-municipal partners, um, to sort of non-profit partners to also do some of these implementations. So it's been something, you know, we've been trying to do quickly and figure out projects and how to support communities, you know, ever-changing needs right now um, and, you know, help create space for people. Yeah, you mentioned something there too. It's it's a lot of this has been a mentality shift in both how quickly people move, um, but also just physically how people look at space. And I think Bridget and I have been doing this for years with patronicity, but really helping communities sort of. A lot of times we come into a community and we're really, we're tasked with sort of saying, okay, how can we help you unlock some of this? I like to call it excess capacity, um, yep. and I I pull that from Robin Chase, who's uh, one of the founders of Zipcar, um, but she really sort of from her book, Pure Zinc, sort of taught me a lot about how to look at how to harness these excess capacities. And cities and towns have unlimited supplies of excess capacity if you just look at using it differently. Um, so I guess what has that 
So now that now that folks are sort of bought into that idea, right? That idea of kind of mm-hmm. okay, we have to look at our streets and our parks and our public spaces differently. Um, what has that transition been like for you, right? This, the speed at which people are now moving, mm-hmm. um, the type of work that people are looking at. I know yeah. traditionally your work may not have been, uh, it may have been more sort of parks and trails and, and bike access. Now it's a little bit more in sort of the public realm and the placemaking mm-hmm. world. So what yeah. has that transition been like? Um, are you sort of encouraged to see the response from so many communities in mass and the sort of willingness yeah. to just jump yeah. and move through hoops as fast as possible? Yeah. Yeah, and it's been amazing to see how quickly communities around the state and communities large and small with vast differences in the resources they have, the way almost every municipality we've spoken with um, is just working you know, so much faster than usual, trying to respond in a week, figuring out how to permit different uses of street space, how to extend their sidewalks, how to remove parking to create space for people and doing that quickly. And maybe normally it would have to go through six different committees and figuring out a way to do it um, in a week or two, knowing that these are temporary changes that are testing out. And it may not, it may not meet the needs right now or the needs of our community may change in a week or two. So it's okay to try it and learn as we go. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're not seeing the usual, it, it, there's a different urgency about how we share our spaces now. Um, and it's been amazing to see both brand new city and municipal staff, you know, folks who maybe started during the pandemic and have never in person met their colleagues still pulling together as a team and doing things in a week, as well as, um, really experienced longtime municipal employees who are rising to a new challenge and, you know, going, you know, racing along to do things and often doing this work when their teams are split, um, only working, you know, sort of a half of the team on one week, half the other week to, you know, protect um, team in case folks get sick. Um, so it's been, you know, incredible to see a shift in how people are able to work quickly and creatively, and also seeing a huge collaboration across departments and committees in cities, um, and a flexibility that you don't always see. And we're even thinking, seeing as communities begin to think about how do, if schools are in session, depending on what that looks like, how do people return to school, as well as planning for how might we create more space for people in the winter? What might things look like next spring? They're not thinking we just need to do this for one week, but realizing that there's a lot of new things still coming. Um, and, you know, I think a real eagerness to continue to support community needs in different ways and not go back to a, you know, it takes a year to permit, mm-hmm. you know, taking one parking space to provide a park for people to sit in. It's, it's very much, uh, just like tomorrow comments, that's very much a startup mentality. I think governments mm-hmm. are kind of taking on and it's, it's sort of the, okay, let's try it. And let's, if we fail, we fail, but let's mm-hmm. not fail. Let's fail cheap, right? Let's not yep. fail expensively. And let's yep. learn from those mistakes, iterate, yep. and then try it again. And I, I know I've talked to a couple of different cities that have kind of been apologizing for how their outdoor dining looks. I go, no, you, this is, that's fine. It's, it's, it's something you got stuff in the ground and you've yep. got the restaurants and businesses reopened. Um, and I think that was the first immediate necessary step. And now you can move on that and you can change on that and you can take resident feedback and you can take business feedback um, and build something more successfully following that. So it's yeah, definitely good. I, I would, 
what we've been seeing as we talk to communities around the state, and I didn't mention sort of we're new to being to doing any work statewide. We've been Greater Boston focused up until this April when we said the needs expand far beyond Greater Boston. Um, and we was just, you got to work with everyone. Um, but as we hear from places around the state, as they try new things, there's a bit of an absence of the usual, you know, you, you can't, government can't always make everyone happy. Things may not re suit everybody's needs perfectly. And usually government hears about that. And that's the wonderful thing about public process. At the same time right now, we really haven't been hearing, there's sort of communities are saying, you know, on the municipal side, they aren't hearing, there's an absence of complaints about demonstration projects. I mean, maybe there is a, you know, something needs to get moved, something got shifted, maybe people want it to be more beautiful, but there seems to be a an understanding and a readiness from the general community that places are testing them out, things out, things are temporary, things may change again in two weeks, and just a patience for that that you might not have seen a year ago. The biggest complaint that I've heard, and it's the frustrating one for me, as somebody who's been trying to get this stuff done mm -hmm. for a long time, is why didn't we do this before? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think, mm -hmm. I know, Bridget, you probably heard some of the same things too, but it's just like, we, we've been talking about these things for so long, we could have, but mm -hmm. some, some folks have in the way. <laughs> and I will say the communities that have been thinking already about how to share their public spaces, how to activate spaces that perhaps haven't had a lot of positive use of those spaces in all of that planning work um, and community process. It, it's so wonderful that that already happened because those are the places that have been able to really quickly respond and improve um, people's experiences the fastest. Uh, and for the places that sort of hadn't done that work yet, it's a, it's, it's, you know, they can't, turn things, you know, we see communities sort of changing what they're down now and looks like to meet current needs in a week, doing perhaps a multi-block closure because they tested this with a farmer's market previously and know that it works and people love it. Um, so the, you know, on, on the one hand, you know, even if, if for the places that dreamed and thought about better ways to share their spaces, they're able to sort of more quickly um, activate and reuse space when the really urgent needs arise. So all is not lost. Um, but yeah, I also have heard, you know, the comment of, you know, can we continue to do this? Why is this only now? Why did it take 300 years to change how we serve alcohol <laughs> in the state of Massachusetts yeah, or in the Commonwealth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, I see that especially here in the Midwest when, um, you know, the concept of open streets feels uh, crazy um, and like, oh, I don't know, we're too car reliant. Um, so the idea of using streets in a different way um, has been, to your point, uh, it's the mindset has changed and so rapidly and quickly. And I think in, in, you know, our, uh, the streets for recovery program that you're supporting, one of the things that I would love for you to share if you can is some of your favorite, um, examples of those mindset changes or anything that you've seen that has been like, 
really profoundly creative. Um, uh, and the reason I ask that is because so many times we have conversations with communities. They're like, we don't know where to begin and who, who do we talk to first about trying to navigate how uh, we look at these spaces differently. So I'd love for you to share any kind of stories of creativity or um, even just those moments uh, that you've seen where that mindset has shifted. But we're not asking I mean, you to play... We're not asking you to play favorites, so don't choose a favorite. My first answer is so boring and uh, unexciting, but the in terms of how places do permitting, um, rather than needing an event permit, maybe you just let it be a parking space permit, and then you can have a parklet outside in a day, um, sort of temporary uses. So, so thinking about what are the simplest ways to permit rather than normally you municipalities are thinking about uh, how do we get feedback from every possible stakeholder we need to inside and outside the city to do a permit but that's that's not as quick so for for long term things yes but just seeing uh we'll test it the other thing you know in communities where in massachusetts we have a wonderful tradition of participatory government and town meeting and select board um but that isn't always the fastest decision making structure compared to if a mayor says i want this to happen and then the mayor's staff does it um so in some places for getting things permitted quickly they're saying rather than we need a full meeting of the select board we've designated one select board member who will in a week um, approve any permit requests to you know use parking spaces for parklets so that this can happen faster and I think that that's a wonderful balance of there's a reason we have all these processes um, and we do this in certain ways at the moment we can try out a different way because we're doing something for a shorter term and, and many of I also another innovation I like is for some of these, you know, temporary road closures to provide, you know, if there's crowding in um, a parking lot somewhere, maybe close that, you know, the state um, parks department closed roads for a bit, which allowed more space for active activity, still allowed people to get to park spaces, but also help control the number of people and sort of the times of day people were going. And I thought that, you know, trying some of these closures with out say saying we're doing this temporarily and testing it out without even needing to name a time frame um that for government also shows a real creativity to me I, I sure wish that they'd kept them open longer the roads open to people longer and you know, but there, there is that balance of you know car transportation and other forms of transportation um but i think people are seeing right now, you know, so many more people cycling, so many families, with kids, and I think there's a an awareness now that there are you know, a lot of vulnerable road users who would like to come downtown too, but maybe they'd like to come downtown by bike and they want to shop outside right now. And so back to that innovation and creativity, we're seeing, you know, as communities are coming up with ideas that they're asking our state transportation department, could you please fund this for us? First of all, the state transportation department, this is one of the most creative and innovative transportation department grant funding calls I've ever seen because they're funding safe routes to schools projects, but temporary pop-ups of it. They're funding shared streets and spaces and things that support outdoor dining and commerce and getting there. And I love that our state transportation department says getting to commerce as part of our transportation goals. 
Um, and then they even have an innovation category. They have a bus priority also, super, super important. And then innovation category of leaving space for communities that are going to think of needs, whether they're um, you know, some of the things under innovation have actually been adding hand washing stations to changes in street use downtown, along with a road closure, a partial road closure. Um, and I think there have been a lot of hybrid projects that might combine, you know, a street closure or a partial closure with things to help people get to a school as well as a crosswalk improvement or using um, taking away a lane in a downtown business district and adding in bike lane, extending the sidewalk and using some of the parking to allow for outdoor retail and dining so that you're creating a more comfortable space for everyone. You're slowing down the traffic. It makes it a much more welcoming and interesting downtown business district to be in. So I love seeing all these stacked projects. You know, it doesn't have to be one thing. It's not just one picnic table outside one business on one sidewalk, which you know might even block um, you know accessibility or block people's ability to have um, six feet of space to pass each other. But I love when places are looking at multiple tools and combining them. Uh, and I think that, that can make places feel so much more welcoming right now when it feels hard to go outside sometimes. It feels scarier or far riskier than I ever would have thought possible to walk to my library and pick up my book. But it, it's really nice to see and feel there's the space for me to walk downtown as someone who's young and able-bodied, but also to feel like communities have created enough space for someone or rolling in a wheelchair to get six feet of distance to also be able to go to the library and for someone who wishes to get takeout downtown and maybe sit in the park or sit in a parklet on the street they have the space to do that comfortably too so i think those are the projects that i find most exciting yeah i think there was it was moody street and waltham has been one of the ones that's really sort of been interesting to watch not just from the start when it actually was implemented but also seeing how it's evolved um, and seeing how sort of they've created the space for outdoor dining on the sides, but now that's expanded to farmers markets and space mm -hmm. for businesses to kind of bring their indoor storefronts that are limited in capacity and people don't want to spend a lot of time inside with strangers and now bring those goods outside to where the people are and where the customers are. Um, but also providing enough space for people to walk and bike down the street. And I think that's been really... And for emergency vehicle access. For emergency done a vehicle access, wonderful yes. job with that. And, <laughs> and also following up on sort of Waltham and their conversation on Moody Street, it sounds like they did such a good job from the start of this was done with businesses, with DPW, with police, fire, with the local farmers market group. It just sort of collaborative process, figuring out all the needs. And I think these projects sort of can happen fastest and work the best when all the different uh, groups come together and talk through the project and the needs at the beginning as opposed, and, and even if they can do walkthroughs of the space so that you make sure you're thinking about accessibility, emergency vehicle access, like those really critical, you know, the safety of being in these differently used spaces and the experiential pieces of it. Yeah, I love that you kind of point out the need for collaboration in uh, the responsive uh, approach to what's happening. I think one of the things too that I feel like you're, you've mentioned um, is this idea that we're trying to find these 
short-term solutions that potentially have long-term impacts on how we envision our spaces and the future of our spaces. Are there, um, is there anything, um, I, I keep asking this question because I have got to stay focused on maybe some silver linings coming out of such a, a challenging time. Um, but the idea that these folks have collaborated on something um, to be so responsive to community needs so quickly, does that give you any hope or a uh, sense of what can be done in the future and potentially, you know, how, um, I know Jonathan says this all the time, it's our, like sort of my favorite quote when we talk about reco recovery, but there's no playbook here for recovery. So we're, we're all building this playbook together. So are there any plays in the playbook that give you hope for or the future of, of how our greenways, our public spaces and parks um, can continue to have uh, long-term benefits for our communities. So I think that government agencies, you know, sort of working across agencies, that's always happened. Some of what I think is new to the conversation now is we're thinking about safety and what it means to be safe in a public space in so many different ways. We're thinking both about space and realizing that a five foot sidewalk right now that feels like a dangerous space, not just because maybe there's a person driving by very fast in a big vehicle that can kill you and they could veer off at any second, but also all of the sudden the safety of passing another person too closely and and none of us like that feeling of not wanting to be near others. And I, I think so many people are feeling if we had more of our public spaces for people, then we could all walk to where we needed to go or drive where we need to go, bike where we need to go, you know, share these spaces differently and share them with each other so you don't feel the sort of we're dodging each other. I also think that because all of the sudden one of our greatest dangers is getting too close to others who aren't part of our immediate household units. Now, instead of when um, municipal staff are thinking about how do we, you know, can we set things up on our roadway? You know, sure, a, a vehicle could bump into an outdoor parklet, but, you know, the number of stories I've heard of vehicles driving through storefronts, and it's yeah. frankly, if our concern is vehicles driving through storefronts and we can't protect against that with any number of barriers, there's so we have to design for safer speeds, safer uses all around. Um, and so I think that the we're really asking our, those questions of, you know, what makes it safe to be in a space and a Jersey barrier doesn't equal safety. And people are really, you know, across all departments and government, you know, everyone's sort of seeing and feeling it for themselves every day differently. And then also, you know, with so much, finally, you know, attention in this country to all of the, you know, racism and, you know, what public spaces are safe and for whom and who is policing or enforcing these spaces. I think a lot more thinking about, again, who these spaces are used, you know, who and how these spaces are used and, you know, as our built environment create less safe spaces for some people or others. And I don't think that's going to leave the conversation. And so I think going forward, as we think about the prioritization of how we use our space, we have some new framings that we are living and feeling the importance of beyond the sort of just 
vehicle speed, which was sort of one of the original thoughts of, you know, safety and shared space. Yeah, we were really realizing how complicated use and uh, use really is. Um, I love that. I love that you shared the the importance of that. Thank you. So want to be cognizant of time. Um, and Allison, it's been a great conversation and a really good opportunity for us to kind of chat about some of the things the organization is doing and the shift sort of streets for recovery and what's that, what that's doing for Massachusetts communities. And I know it's been a pleasure for us to be able to work with you and Herb at the Solomon Foundation and every other organization in Massachusetts that's involved in this work. And you mentioned MassDOT. Um, I've been really impressed for a state transit organization for them to be so flexible and setting up a, a massive $5 million pool of funding to support this work so quickly. And doing it fast. And normally it's, when we set up a program, you know, when the private sector yeah. and philanthropic center sets up a program, maybe years later, government might adopt it. I think MassDOT may have been two weeks behind us. Yeah. It'd be just amazing it was, speed. Yeah, I'm really impressed. And I'm impressed with how quickly it's rolling out too. I mean, they're already have millions of dollars out yeah. the door, which is great to see. And they're doing an amazing job with communications as well to try to share yeah. learning, you know, that should hopefully be coming soon and working with partners on. But I think that's sort of one other thing I do want to sort of make sure to add in that's really exciting now is often in Massachusetts, it can feel like things are very bounded by the municipal boundaries and each community has a wonderful way of doing it their way. And I've loved seeing right now how communities are adopting projects that work for themselves, but also looking around and learning from and talking to other communities because no one's done it before. So you got to look to somewhere. Um, and so it feels like there's more sharing of ideas there too across the state. And even, you know, from communities very wide apart with some very different demographics and needs, but perhaps they have the same type of intersection that they want to work on so that there's a nexus for um, working together. Yeah, it's a great, we always say this too to our project teams and, and groups that come to us, but you never want somebody to replicate another project. So when we put up examples, we don't want somebody to take that, take that sheet of paper and just drop it in their community. There's always going to be some iterations, but I think using that as inspiration yeah what they're doing and kind of seeing how they executed on that is a great sort of source for knowledge for their own work. So with that, uh, Allison, thank you. Bridget, thank you for co-hosting with me today. Uh, this has been a pleasure and looking forward to continuing our work together. Yes.